Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, if men are from Mars and women are from Venus, no wonder we don't speak the same language. How to make sense of the way the other half communicates with the author of Sex Talk. It's not what you think. Also this morning, a milestone for canine enthusiasts as the American Kennel Club has officially added its 200th recognized breed of dog. We'll meet the Bracco Italiano. Happening this weekend, the 7th Annual Ride to Remember will be touring much of the area to benefit wreaths across America at Christmas time. And we have another collection of tasty and easy-to-make recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, July 8th, 2022. kid again day today i love that i mean and and look at this it is national freezer pop day (laughs) so what better way to be a kid again than to enjoy a freezer pop (laughs) i used to love those when i was little uh so be a kid again day today national freezer pop day it is national ice cream sunday day National Milk Chocolate with Almonds Day. Um, It is also Math 2.0 Day. (laughs) I think of Math 2.0, and I'm glad I'm not a kid again. Um, It is also Collector Car Appreciation Day and World Kebab Day. So there's that. No reasons to celebrate uh, on this uh, Friday, TGIF. So... This is uh, predictable here. We mentioned yesterday morning the running of the bulls is back in in Spain. Six people suffering from injuries uh, on the first day of the running in the bulls, and uh, it was the first since the pandemic. It was they didn't have it for the past couple of years, and we mentioned yesterday you would think that maybe people would have come to their senses over the past couple of years, and they had time to sit back and think about. Just how stupid that is, <laughs> but apparently not. Um, six people gored. Um, those include a 30-year-old American from Atlanta who suffered a broken arm. Um, actually, I misspoke. Uh, none of those injured, according to government officials, none of those injured were actually gored by a bull. They were just injured in the running thereof. The uh, festival... And the bull running will continue through July 14th. So we will continue to keep you up to date on the uh, <laughs> the score. The score is bulls six, uh, people no, people zero. Uh, man, I tell you, what is the world coming to with this? Uh, officials in Las Vegas are considering instituting a curfew. Now you think of all of the cities in America... Las Vegas instituting a curfew. This would be for anyone under the age of 21. And uh, this is all coming. It's not uh, it's not a done deal yet, but the but uh, officials, the city of Las Vegas are considering this discussions coming after a shooting on July 4th on Fremont Street uh, right around 1230 in the morning. A fight had broken out between two male suspects. One of them fired a gun at the other. uh, And obviously, this is a crowded area. Fremont Street, pretty crowded area there in downtown Vegas. A video of the incident shows a group of men fighting in a crowd when shots are fired. The mayor of Las Vegas, Carolyn Goodman, said the next day that police and city marshals have committed to an increased law enforcement presence. And And she stated that we are exploring a possible curfew for individuals under the age of 21. Uh, This is not the first shooting on Fremont Street. This year, back in mid-June, one person was killed and a 16-year-old suspect arrested. Police stats show uh, homicides in the city of Vegas are up 57% uh, this year over last so far, which... I'm not necessarily surprised by that. Again, last year, we were still kind of in the throes of the pandemic, not so much as a couple of years ago, but you got to figure there are more tourists now than there were a year ago. So 
probably, or not just more tourists, more people out now than there were a year ago. So it's probably not surprising that homicides are up. But man, a curfew in Vegas. I wonder how the uh, casinos and the gaming industry feels about that. Of course, it would only apply to those who are uh, under the age of 21. So what is it? Is it 18 or 21, the legal gambling age in, uh, in Vegas? I don't know. Anyway, just kind of interesting. I, I saw that story on the uh, newswire that of all of the of all of the cities that could impose a curfew, Las Vegas. You know that it's serious if Las Vegas is Im- thinking of imposing a curfew because things don't even start jumping in Vegas until 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Some of the other uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. This could have a huge impact on the tattoo industry in this country. A photographer is suing celebrity tattoo artist Kat Von D for copyright infringement. It is a first-of-its-kind lawsuit over a likeness of a photo uh, that the photographer says is his copyrighted property that the tattoo artist inked on someone. Now, think about this. Uh, This could be a big, big deal. Uh, Kat Von D did the tattoo. She admits that she did the tattoo from a likeness of an iconic photograph of jazz great Miles Davis back in 2017. And the photographer, Jeffrey Sedlick, filed suit in 2021. A California federal judge recently ruled that the case can go to trial. Uh, there was, you know, obviously lawsuits to uh, countersuits to dismiss or motions to dismiss and all of that. Well, it will go to trial now. Now, the tattoo artist, she has said that her tattooed version of the photo is transformative from the original image. The uh, University of Colorado's uh, Cristalia Garcia, who teaches intellectual property, copyright, and patent law, tells reporters the question for the jury is, did she change the photo or the image enough to not make it a derivative work or make it a legal derivative work from the uh, original? And legal experts are saying this case could have implications for tattoo artists in general. And I would think, you know, that's a good point. Um, you see from time to time, people have the logos of their favorite sports teams inked on, on themselves, tattooed on themselves or, you know, something like that. Could they, could they sue someone? Could, could the Ohio state university sue someone for tattooing the Ohio state logo on someone? A lot of implications on this that could, uh, rock the tattoo industry. So watch that very closely. Uh, follow up to the Independence Day holiday last weekend. The most patriotic brand in America for the 20th year in a row, Jeep. They are on a red, white, and blue streak, as it were. The uh, company that traces its roots to World War II was once again tops on the latest list in a survey conducted by brand loyalty consultancy brand keys they ask respondents to rank brands that best embody the value of patriotism that's the question so they pose this to consumers what is the brand that best embodies the american spirit and the value of or the uh, american value of patriotism jeep Again, for the 20th year in a row, comes in second, or comes in first. You know who was second? Disney. Uh, Amazon and Walmart tied for third, uh, followed by Coca-Cola, American Express, and Ford uh, tied for fifth. So those were the top five with ties. Jeep, Disney, Amazon, Walmart, Coca-Cola, American Express, and Ford the most patriotic brands in America. And I thought that was really interesting because, you know, uh, Jeep is now part of an American, Italian, French conglomerate. So I thought that was kind of interesting. 
Uh, but Jeep does continue to lean heavily into its historic ties to the U.S. military with special models, including the new Freedom Edition Wrangler and Gladiator and all of that. So uh, not surprised. I mean, they're capitalizing on that uh, perception of being a patriotic brand. You know what I thought was interesting? I mean, the very first name, the very first brand name that came to my mind, when I think of all-American brands, patriotic, all-American brands, Harley-Davidson. And they're not in the top five. You know where Harley did rank? 20th, which kind of surprised me. Anyway, uh, Let's see. No secret that uh, we love our pets as Americans, but... Are we really happier as pet owners than the average person? Are pet owners happier than people who don't own pets? Well, a new study finds the answer is yes. Pet owners are happier. Here's what they did. A global analysis using artificial intelligence, researchers with pet plan. I found that uh, pet owners worldwide are significantly happier than their pet-free neighbors, not just in this country, but uh, worldwide, globally. Uh, in fact, they say pet ownership increases overall happiness by more than 22% overall, 22%. So uh, Pet Plan is a pet insurance company, and what they did is they used uh, facial recognition artificial intelligence um, to examine more than a quarter million selfies posted by pet owners on Instagram and Google images. Specifically, they were looking at photos from dog, cat, and rabbit owners in every developed country of the world. So those were the pets that they cho chose, dogs, cats, and rabbits. So the uh, AI system detected levels of emotion in photos with faces. They could tell if people were smiling or, or what have you. And they scored each emotion on a scale of 0 to 100 uh, based on how happy those pet owners appeared in their photos with their pets. And that then allowed them to quantify how much happier having a pet companion makes a person as opposed to someone who doesn't own a pet. Um... The happiest pet owners, by the way, were in New Zealand, Brazil, Hungary, the Netherlands, and Australia. And of those two, New Zealand and Australia, I'm thinking those people are probably happy that their animals just didn't kill them. Because <laughs> in Australia and New Zealand, just about every animal will kill you. So they're probably just happy they didn't get eaten uh, by their pets. But um, Canadian pet owners were seventh happiest overall and the usa scored 14th globally in terms of pet owner happiness factor so i thought that was but yes having a pet long and short of it is having a pet does make you happier by about 22 percent so now you know there you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your TGI Friday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. It'll be mostly cloudy today with some showers and a high of 81. Showers are possible tonight as well, a low of 65. A proposed amendment to the Ohio Constitution that would prevent businesses, health care providers, and governments from imposing vaccine mandates is now a step closer to the statewide ballot. The proposal would prohibit those entities from discriminating against people based on vaccination status or mandating any vaccine, medical procedure, treatment, or medical device. The Ohio Ballot Board unanimously approved the language. Supporters must next collect thousands of valid signatures from registered voters. The issue wouldn't appear on a statewide ballot until next year at the earliest. I'm Clay Gordon. We're still a long way from October, but the city of Finley has already announced the date and time for its trick-or-treat. The city says it's already been receiving calls from people asking when trick-or-treat will be this year, so they decided to announce it now. And Finley's trick-or-treat will be held on Saturday, October 29th from 5 to 7. A new electronic warrant filing system is being used in some Ohio counties in an effort to help curb violent crime. 
Governor Mike DeWine says this new system is five times faster than pen and paper. And law enforcement officials say this will help them prevent another tragedy like the one we all witnessed in Highland Park, Illinois. We want to make sure that the people that's getting their hands on these guns or firearms and buying them, that there's not something slipping through a crack there that could have been taken care of by this. As of today, there is no requirement to get warrants into the system. The governor is working to change that. I'm Tracy Townsend. Hancock County Sheriff Michael Heldman says he's interested in the system once it becomes available to them. A video featuring golfer John Daly crushing a golf ball over an Ohio highway has gone viral. The video shows the colorful golfer driving the ball across Interstate 76 in Akron and onto a high school football field. Daly is in Akron this week for the Bridgestone Senior Players Championship. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Well, have you and your significant other ever had a communication issue? I think every couple has at one point or another uh, not been on the same wavelength. It often serves as material for stand-up comedians or TV sitcoms, but it can cause serious problems in otherwise healthy relationships. Dr. Stephen Furlich is a communications expert and author of the new book, Sex Talk, How Biological Sex Influences Gender Communication Differences Throughout Life Stages. And uh, Dr. Furlich, to emphasize, this is not necessarily talking about sex. It's about how the sexes talk to each other. But I, I guess that's a good place to start. Are these communication differences more pronounced depending on the type of communication that we're talking about? Uh, yes. So what my book tries to cover is um, maybe nonverbal communication, verbal communication, and then within it, specifics about it as well. So it starts out and it gives a basic foundation as to why there are gender communication differences that are explained through biology, such as that um, at conception, everyone pretty much starts off in a similar type of developmental path, but then after about four months, which we usually think of as more a female, Mm -hmm. but then after about four months into development after conception, that's when the sex hormones start to differentiate between males and females. So those who are uh, males, the XY chromosome starts increases low androgens, uh, the testosterone, and those with the XX chromosome, the female, more the estrogen. So when these sex hormones differentiate, it actually creates brain structural differences between males and females yeah. that are actually located in areas related to communication. That's, so that's... now science, science can actually analyze the human brain and with over 90% accuracy, predict if it's male or female. Yeah, that's one of the things that I thought was uh, fascinating, that this is not just conjecture or observational. There is actually scientific evidence that men and women communicate differently because of their gender. And just simplistically, all communication starts in the brain. And if you can uh, predict with over 90% accuracy if a brain is male or female, if it's that different, then why would anybody assume that we're going to communicate the same? But at the same time, you know, we're all human. Uh, Why is it that men and women have so much trouble understanding each other? What exactly is going on then, biologically? Okay. I see it in terms of communication-wise as not necessarily as um, exclusive, distinct categories or abilities, but better than or worse than or more on a continuum in terms of ability. So let me give you an example. One is it's been found for years and even decades that females are much superior with nonverbal communication, with understanding other people. And throughout research, they always try to attribute that to social factors, but there are biological explanations that have been found recently, Hmm. such as women have a more uh, integrated brain, more connections to both sides of the hemisphere, whereas males are much more compartmentalized to one side. So during the conversation, it allows her to engage in the conversation while at the same time analyze the nonverbal behaviors of the other person. Whereas with us males, when we engage in a conversation, uh, our left side is activated for language and our right side for emotion. So we could do one or the other, but not necessarily both at the same time. She also has higher levels of oxytocin during conversations which is that bonding chemical. So she's more emotionally invested in it and it takes in more social cues from the oxytocin 
and she has more overall mirror neurons that are activating the brain during conversations, which are those uh, neurons in the brain that look at someone else's behaviors and then prepare your body to mimic those same behaviors that you see. So you actually take on the same emotional type of experience of what you see the other person because your body is being prepared for it. So the bottom line with that is uh, she is going to be able to be much better at understanding the subtleties, the hints, the subtle cues, the nonverbal behaviors of other people. And she's going to look into the conversation much beyond what is saying, mm. uh, the, the language itself. Whereas yeah. with the male, he's going to have a much more literal understanding of the conversation and yeah. not uh, take into account the subtle hints that she may be uh, indicating. Yeah, and again, uh, what couple has not experience that is probably sitting there saying, yeah, exactly. That's happened in our relationship. <laughs> so, and the subtitle of the book also, uh, I thought was interesting, indicates that this can change or evolve as we age, uh, as you reference uh, throughout life stages. What is different between the way couples communicate in their 20s versus in their 50s or even into their 70s? Okay, so there's a number of things. Um I have a chapter that addresses emotions and the sex hormones, how that influences emotions. So um, there are strong correlations with different types of uh, sex hormones and communication. So such as higher levels of testosterone is related with um, lower uh, language abilities. So that's why males tend to have an inferior language ability, whereas estrogen has been found to increase social abilities. So higher levels of estrogen increases social abilities. Um, what has been found recently as a trend and identified is that the vast majority of people who file for divorce over age 50 is filed by uh, women. And that's usually around the same time that uh, menopause starts to kick in and those estrogen levels start to decrease. Hmm. So one of the things that I highlight is that how this, and this is one of the things that I kind of knew, but it uh, solidified when I wrote this chapter, that the serotonin system, which helps to regulate emotions, has been identified for over 40 years as sexually dimorphic. So the way that we regulate our emotions is scientifically proven to be different between males and females. Testosterone is even used to treat depression for both males and females. Mm-hmm because it increases the serotonin levels. And depression anxiety is found on the X chromosome. With females having two X chromosomes, you can see how they're more vulnerable to yeah. uh, depression anxiety. I interesting. So uh, all of that leads to the big question, and not to give away the secrets uh -huh. of the book necessarily, but the big question, what is the secret then to men and women having better communication? And by the way, we should mention that this is not just within a relationship in the home right. environment, but also in the work environment as well, because we, I'm sure that right. most of us have had those issues come up uh, in the in the work uh, environment as well. Right. So um, one of the overarching themes is to have an understanding from the other person's perspective and not from yours. So just because it makes sense to you what you're saying, or just because uh, you're perceiving it in a particular way, maybe the exact same thing vastly different interpreted by the other person. Just like uh, I, I previously talked about, women are going mm -hmm. to look into those subtleties, those details much better, whereas men are going to have a much more literal understanding. Um, if I could give one recent example really quickly, I think it would help. Sure. Okay. So um, I have a whole chapter that's, uh, that's called She Demands, He Withdraws. And there is a communication dynamic that has been addressed for years and even decades. Uh, it's called Demand Withdrawal. And pretty much 100% of the time, it's the female in the relationship that she demands more and the male, he withdraws more. And we saw this play out on TV for the last three weeks or four weeks or whatever it was with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Mm, yeah. So she kept, she kept demanding more from the relationship. He was not meeting her emotional needs. And it was even on the tape itself that she says, every time a conflict comes up, you just leave. Which yeah. he does. So he just withdraws. So, so she demanded more and she acted out even more to get more of his attention. And that led to him withdrawing even more and uh, doing more substance abuse. Yeah. So there's some uh, biological uh, reasons for it. It takes males much more effort to process relational information. And we have inferior language abilities to express those emotions. So he felt what he was doing contributed to the relationship. And she didn't see that as a value. She wanted more of the language 
emotional expression. Uh-huh. And then uh, her emotional needs wasn't being met um, by him. And she, he felt that she wasn't appreciating what he did. So what could have been done differently was they found that touch, such as holding hands before a conflict, increases positive social behaviors between each other because it increases that bonding chemical, oxytocin. And then lastly, the indicator of relationship health and that can uh, improve a relationship is mimic behaviors. So having the same nonverbal behaviors displayed between each partner increases oxytocin, that bonding chemical, but it also activates similar areas of the brain so you better understand the other person, you empathize with them better. It's interesting you mentioned the uh, Johnny Depp Amber Heard uh, trial. That that must have been a fascinating case study in all of this uh, for you. So here is uh, the the next thing that I wonder. I mean, you talk about all of this scientific research that goes into analyzing this and figuring all of this out. What do we still not know about gender communication research? Uh, I, I I'm sure we still don't have it all figured out. I'm sure. Right. Um, so with my book, this, uh, uh, just a little bit, just a uh, short background information about it is I teach a gender communication class and I've taught this for the last seven or eight years. And, you know, there is in the social sciences, some recognition of gender communication differences, but all of that was attributed to social factors. So this is the first book that, uh, well, I couldn't find a book to teach the class. Yeah. So I created my own that actually addresses what are the biological underpinning reasons why um, so that we could have an understanding that we have different abilities, just like um, physical abilities. Mm-hmm. Probably for me and probably for you as well, no matter how much we trained, we probably were never going to win the 100-meter dash in the Olympics. So we need to understand what our biological abilities and limitations are. So the next step that I would like to see is more precision. So what are the specific percentages or abilities or the variants that you can pinpoint of differences between uh, males and females and the communication hmm. abilities? Yeah. So I address the, these differences and abilities, but um, it's very difficult at this point to put actual percentages of how much of it, it is. Well, if uh, nothing else, maybe that is uh, uh, something for the next book. Uh, it is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It is Sex Talk, How Biological Sex Influences Gender Communication Differences Throughout Life's Stages. Fascinating scientific exploration of why couples and uh, males and females in any setting uh, oftentimes have difficulty communicating. Dr. Stephen Furlich is the author. Do you have a website? in conjunction with the book? Uh, no, just the easiest way is to uh, just search my last name, F-U-R-L-I-C-H, and then the book is on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, Apple. Dr. Furlich, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Oh, okay, thank you. Well, big news for dog lovers. Last week, the American Kennel Club officially added the 200th entry to its database, I guess, of recognized breeds. Brandy Hunter-Munden is the Vice President of Communications and Public Relations for the American Kennel Club with us on the line this morning. Brandy, tell us a little bit about the uh, AKC's 200th dog breed and some of its uh, unique characteristics here. It is the Bracco Italiano, and we're very excited to welcome it to the AKC Full Recognition family. We are thrilled that this dog is even available to join. It is a gun dog that is native to Italy. It is the only other gun dog from Italy, the other one being the Spinoni Italiano. It is a full-bodied dog. It maxes out at about 90 pounds with beautiful floppy ears and a wonderful statue. Um, It has a beautiful head. It comes in a orange coat variety, orange and white, as well as a brown and white. It is a fun breed. It's versatile. It can do pretty much anything you want to do. It was bred to be a hunter, retriever, and pointer all in one. So Mm. it can do many, many things. Wow. And it's great with families. It's great with children. It requires a good amount of exercise. So if you have an active lifestyle, this breed will absolutely work for you. Highly intelligent and trainable. It's an all-around great dog. We're honored. Now, uh, from what I understand, while the name may be new and it's newly recognized by the AKC, this is a breed that has been around for quite a while, introduced into the U.S. about 30 years ago, but it it has even more history uh, overseas in Europe. Yes, it actually dates back to four or 
the fourth or fifth century BC, I wow. believe. Wow. It has been around a very long time, and it has evolved over time. But it pretty much looks very much like it did when it was first, you know, introduced so, to the world. And it's it's a great breed to bring to the state. So uh, I, I guess that leads to the question: What took so long? I mean, what goes into and, and this, <laughs> this is really the, the the question that I've always wondered: What goes in into the decision to officially recognize a new breed of dog? Well, the process is a thorough one. You have to make sure that you are establishing the pedigree and the stud book. Everything in the AKC that is registered has a pedigree. So every dog has a pedigree of at least three generations back. You need more if you're establishing the breed. You have to have a parent club that is charged with protecting the breed and adhering to the breed standard, which they also develop most of the time for ancient breeds from standards that already exist. You have to make sure that you have enough households in the U.S. to actually preserve the breed because the key to all of this is actually preservation. We want these breeds to stay around as long as possible. So you have to make sure that you not only have the group that's dedicated to preserving them but also breeding them. And once you do that and you hold some matches, you go before the AKC board, they make sure everything looks good, and welcome to the AKC in full there recognition. You go. So uh, what does this mean now uh, with respect to this breed for future dog shows? It means championships and titles. That's what a lot of uh, people who own the breed love. Uh, they love competing with their dogs. It's a beautiful way to exhibit the human-canine bond. But this dog is so versatile, it can literally be in confirmation, dock diving, barn hunt, field trials, fast cat, almost any of the 26 uh, sports that we recognize, honestly. So it means a lot more Broncos. They're going to come in. I know they're going to kill it. One of our dogs that's (laughs) been doing media with us today is already a champion. So I know he's headed to grand championship and they are coming and they are showing out. And uh, of course, the vast majority of pet owners uh, are, are not those that, that participate in the in the dog shows or compete in the dog shows, uh, but are simply looking for a family pet. So what advice would you have for families who might want to adopt a Brocco or really any breed of dog? What you know do you recommend? Well, whether you decide to, if you decide to rescue, that's an excellent option. If you decide to work with a particular breed, you want to work with a breeder that's breeding responsibly. You want to assess your lifestyle. Dogs require a lot. They are a huge commitment. and You want to make sure whatever breed you're bringing into your home actually fits your lifestyle. So you don't want to be super active and have a breed that likes to be a couch potato, but you also don't want to be a couch potato with a breed that needs to be outside and really wants to romp. So you want to make sure that you can fit this dog into your lifestyle comfortably to give the best life to you and the dog. And the the Bronco, uh, from what I understand you were talking about earlier, uh, this is definitely the type, the right type of family for this dog would be one with a very active lifestyle. Absolutely. They, they do love to be couch potatoes. To be clear, they can be couch potatoes, but when you get them out in the field and get them outside, they definitely want to run. They want to play. They want to romp. They form wonderful breeds with uh, bonds with children. So you want to make sure that you have that lifestyle that's engaging. If you have a big yard and you have kids, this breed is going to keep up with everything you want to do. Again, Brandy Hunter-Munden is Vice President of Communications and Public Relations for the American Kennel Club. The 200th recognized breed for the AKC is the Bracco Italiano. I just love the way that rolls off the tongue. Where do where do folks uh, go to uh, learn more about this new breed and all of the rest of the breeds that you recognize the AKC? You want to go to akc.org and you can fall in love with the Bracco or the other 199 breeds that we recognize. <laughs> Or maybe some in miscellaneous and FSS. You never know where you'll find your love, but they're all on akc.org. Brandy, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. So a couple of things happening this weekend to call your attention to, and both of them have to do with honoring those who have served in very uh, different but very important ways. So let me uh, give you the uh, scoop on this. First of all, happening tomorrow uh, at the uh, Elks Lodge, the Finley Elks Lodge on uh, West Melrose, it is the reunion band concert, uh, the uh, annual event featuring the original reunion band, 
in an outdoor concert. Going to be an awful lot of fun, and not just the music, but also food, and uh, there'll be prizes and all kinds of things. Admission is free for this, and the gates open at 530, uh, rain or shine, but it looks like the weekend weather is going to be pretty good for this. But the gates open at 530. It is free admission. And, of course, they'll take donations and they're going to uh, do raffles and, and things like that. All of the proceeds are going to be- benefit Flag City Honor Flight. And we've talked with the folks at uh, Honor Flight. They have a very busy schedule planned to make up for lost time this year, the past couple of weeks of the pandemic when they have, have been grounded. Uh, so in order to make that happen and uh, get all of those veterans to D.C., to see the memorials and monuments in their honor, uh, we need to uh, make sure that we get the funding to do that. So it's not a it's not a cheap undertaking. So the uh, reunion band concert benefit Flag City Honor Flight is tomorrow uh, again at the uh, Finley Elks Lodge. Uh, free admission do, uh, gates open at five thirty, and it's going to be an awful lot of fun. So uh, make sure that you uh, check that out. Put that on your calendar. And uh, uh, bring, uh, come prepared to uh, to make a donation and help out the uh, folks Flag City Honor Flight. Also happening tomorrow, it is the seventh annual Wreaths Across America Ride to Remember, and uh, that is a this is a huge uh, bike run. Uh, actually, two and four wheelers are are welcome. Uh, begins at 10 o'clock. Registration begins at 10 o'clock at Garner Trucking. And uh, the ride will leave from Garner Trucking on County Road 313. Kickstands up at 12 noon. And check out these uh, all of these stops along the way. They're going to be going all over the place. From Garner Trucking, they go to the Ottawa VFW, then back to the Macomb VFW, then over to the Fostoria AMVETS, uh, to Route 30 Harley-Davidson uh, outside of Upper Sandusky, and then back to the Findlay Amvets is where they uh, wrap everything up. Uh, so, I mean, that's <laughs> that's quite a route. From Garner Trucking to Ottawa VFW, Macomb VFW, Fostoria Amvets, Route 30 Harley-Davidson, and then back to the Findlay Amvets. And the final stop, uh, they'll uh, do dinner and live music from south of 6. That'll be from uh, 6 p.m., until 9 p.m., and all of that uh, begins on uh, Saturday, tomorrow, at uh, 10 a.m. with uh, registration and kickstands up at noon. And, um, <laughs> oops, thought I had uh, thought I had Sherry on the, uh, on the phone. Um, Sherry Gunner-Brumball, we've talked with her a number of times uh, on the program about the Reads Across America program and uh, how... Uh, how special that uh, program is at uh, Christmas time to lay wreaths at the graves of uh, veterans at uh, at Maple Grove Cemetery and others around the area. This has grown uh, to be a huge thing. And uh, so, again, this is one of the main ways that they raise the funds to be able to do that uh, to honor those veterans during the holiday season. The Registration is $15 for a single rider or $20 for double riders. And uh, they've got all kinds of uh, of uh, prizes and games. And uh, there's a it's it's a, a poker run that's ra- uh, wrapped into this. If you want to participate in the poker run, it's $10 buy-in. Um, and uh, so it, it's just going to be a terrific day Uh Again, a great day for a ride, and it's going to be some uh, great food, great music, and an awful lot of fun. Uh, the goal is to raise enough money to lay wreaths on the graves of 3,000 veterans at Maple Grove Cemetery uh, on Saturday, December 17th. That's what the uh, the wreath laying will be this coming holiday season. Uh, the uh, This event, uh, coordinated by Hancock Youth Leadership, Finley Hancock County Chamber Foundation. And uh, if you want more information, we've got it linked up at our webpage. You can go to goodmornings.net. And uh, it is going to be a terrific event. The 7th Annual Reads Across America Ride to Remember. And that uh, 
is tomorrow as well. So if you want more uh, details on these events, uh, check out our webpage, goodmornings.net. And uh, like we said, a couple of uh, big happenings this weekend to benefit those who have served. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. And a follow-up to a story that we had in the broken news yesterday. You remember the story about the homing pigeon that found itself caught in a, uh, uh, a heated battle uh, between an animal shelter? Well, he... Let me let me back up. Here is the uh, story. You remember the uh, story yesterday? The homing pigeon named Bob. <laughs> he showed up in Alabama the other day, apparently having uh, flown or somehow traveled 4,000 miles from England. Bob uh, belonged to a gentleman in England and who uh, <laughs> sent him out and he ended up in uh, Alabama, uh, Alabama somehow, 4,000 miles away. A homing pigeon, apparently not very good at his job. But uh, now, apparently, there is a battle uh, between the uh, the animal shelter and PETA um, after unintentionally completing a 4,000-mile trip from England to Alabama. The pigeon named Bob was brought to the Monroe County Animal Shelter, which put out a bulletin to find its owner. This is a part of the story that we had yesterday. But when they found out that Bob not only belonged to a gentleman in England, but that he had traveled from England, PETA got involved, demanding the animal, uh, demanding the animal shelter surrender Bob to them, claiming his owner cruelly subjected him to a life of pigeon racing. Now, it is true that Bob was part of a pigeon race when he vanished, but a shelter worker is remaining firm that Bob will be returned to his owner. Trisha Davis says they preach birds should stay with their flock, that birds are meant to fly, but yet they don't want Bob to go back to his home to his flock and they don't want him to fly. <laughs> uh, Ms. Davis said if Bob's owner is willing to fly all the way to the United States to pick up one single pigeon, then we think he should have his pet. Bob's owner, gentleman by the name of Alan Todd, is raising money so that he can cover the cost of flying to Alabama and said he is donating proceeds of his GoFundMe campaign to the animal shelter that uh, helped out Bob. So, and didn't turn him over to PETA. I love that. <laughs> they say birds should stay with their flock and they're meant to fly, but they don't want him to fly. <laughs> Elsewhere in the uh, broken news this morning... Uh, not the sharpest tool in the shed, a man in New York City by the name of Kendall Floyd, age 25, was captured on video making a dangerous leap from an elevated Brooklyn subway uh, from from the from the from a set of elevated Brooklyn subway tracks onto the roof of a nearby building, jumped from the subway tracks onto a building uh, because he was being chased by police and he refused to surrender police gave chase and that's when the uh, on the video a crowd can be heard imploring the man not to jump he did make the leap but he did not evade capture he was later arrested and taken to the hospital for treatment of a severely broken leg and the reason he went through all of this <laughs> jumping off the subway tracks onto a building crushed his leg uh he was initially stopped by police for failing to wear a seatbelt. <laughs> that seems like an awful lot of trouble to go through to avoid a seatbelt seat violation, you know? <laughs> Maybe there was something else going on, I don't know. Uh, speaking of not the sharpest tools in the shed, a Florida man attempted to carjack a 74-year-old woman who was sitting in traffic in Ocala uh, earlier this week. But a witness stopped him by tying him up with a belt. <laughs> this is according to the Marion County Sheriff's Office. The suspect, identified as Elide Rosario Otero, age 51, allegedly didn't remember anything about the incident because he claimed to have been uh, spaced out on drugs since the previous night. It all started about 6 a.m. when 
Mr. Rosario attended, uh, uh, attempted to burglarize a nearby home, but then ran off toward traffic after being confronted by the homeowner with a broom. <laughs> Joshua Lewis says he chased the would-be intruder off with his broom. The suspect then ran into a nearby intersection where he tried to enter multiple cars, ultimately ultimately was able to get inside of this 74-year-old woman's SUV through her passenger side door. A man who saw Mr. Rosario wrestling with the woman in the SUV walked over, walked over, just casually walked over, pulled him out of the SUV, and restrained him with a belt until deputies arrived. In this case, according to a Sheriff's Department spokesperson, Zach Moore, in this case, we're very fortunate that citizens were vigilant, saw this happening, and were able to come to the victim's rescue. And uh, they go on to add, this is why it's important, whether you're in your vehicle or out, to make sure that your doors are locked. <laughs> also might want to stop doing that much, uh, that much cocaine. You get yourself into that situation. Didn't remember any of it. <clears throat> and finally, in the broken news this morning, I love this story. A doctor's note saying a convicted felon had terminal cancer kept a San Diego woman out of prison. Ashley Lynn Chavez was convicted of embezzling $160,000 from her employer. But she presented doctor's notes urging the judge to keep to keep her out of prison. Uh, the cancer was too aggressive, the doctor said, and she needed treatment. Well, the U.S. District Judge Anthony Battaglia uh, showed mercy and gave her a three-month reprieve to report to prison so that she could get treatment. In the meantime, Ms. Chavez hired a new attorney and supplied him with more notes from two separate doctors saying that the cancer had grown worse and that prison would be a death sentence. The notes also explain that she was too ill to work, so she could not make the ordered restitution payments to her former employer. Well, that's when federal authorities began to get suspicious, and they contacted the physicians who purportedly had written the letters, and both said they had no idea <laughs> what, what the cops were talking about. Though Ms. Chavez had been a patient of one of the doctors, the other had never heard of her, and uh, the one that did know who she was, said she wasn't dying. Far from it. Um, on Tuesday, Ms. Chavez was sentenced to an additional two years in prison for the get-out-of-jail cancer scheme. That is on top of the one year that she uh, has to serve for the original sentence. So the judge tripled her sentence. Uh, and uh, she is an FBI agent on the case called Ms. Chavez conduct an affront to people who are actually battling cancer. <laughs> Not real bright. Creative and certainly elaborate, but not too bright. There you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Flag City Honor Flight is having its annual Reunion Band Outdoor Benefit Concert Saturday, July 9th at the Finley Elks Lodge. Come on out for food, music, raffles, and lots of fun. Don't forget to bring your own chairs. Gates open at 5.30 and admission is free, but donations will be accepted at the door. Put it on your calendar. The Flag City Honor Flight Annual Reunion Band Outdoor Benefit Concert, Saturday, July 9th at the Finley Elks Lodge. This message provided by WFIN. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Uh, we were talking about uh, communication between uh, males and females. Um, this is one of those things that always causes uh, communication issues. If you ever planned a wedding <laughs> with someone special, uh, you know that that can uh, lead to a few disagreements here and there. But I thought this was interesting. According to a new poll, two-thirds, two-thirds of Americans would agree that planning a wedding today is more difficult than it was for previous generations. This is a poll of 2,000 people who have either recently planned or attended a wedding, and 4 in 10, 42% of those who have planned a wedding say they need between 6 months and a year to plan. Only 1 in 5 
believe that they could do so in less than six months. And 23% say they need more than a year to plan a wedding today. Now, you compare that to older generations, 41% um, 41 of millennials um, who... Uh, 41% of millennials need between six months and a year. And uh, 17% would need one to two years. Uh, conducted by one poll on behalf of Minted, the uh, survey aimed to uncover how today's weddings mix modern trends with traditional customs and to see what wedding customs are getting relegated to the past. If you have been to a wedding recently, you know that there are a lot of things that maybe a generation ago were pretty much standard as part of the formalities of a wedding. Just don't uh, just aren't done these days. They've fallen out of favor. Uh, everything from uh, the bride wearing white, uh, which is, you know, today's generation brides are uh, much more likely to than they were in previous generations to wear something other than white uh, or, you know, at the reception, many of the uh, traditional things like the throwing of the bouquet and, and that kind of thing that a lot of uh, weddings today, they just don't do that uh, anymore. So interesting uh, the way uh, weddings, but planning a wedding uh, now they say in some cases, one to two years. And now, once again, my wife, Kyra, has joined us in the studio with more of her tasty and easy-to-make recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. Good morning. <laughs> you usually say good morning. Oh, I'm sorry. Good morning. Good morning. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, we, can, we can move forward now. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, this was kind of interesting. Uh, I wanted to... Uh, point this out because the first of the recipes uh, today it's a crockpot lasagna soup yes so lasagna soup in the I know. Uh, in the slow cooker kind yes. of interesting so we'll get to that in just a moment one of the things that the recipe calls for is a jar of spaghetti sauce mm -hmm. so that always brings up the question how do you make canned sauce taste like homemade how do you make oh. Uh, you know, Your the, the store thing bought is crushed tomatoes, you crushed know. tomatoes. Yeah, you okay. Crushed tomatoes. So, uh, this I saw on the uh, newswire, some, uh, famous chefs, uh, mm -hmm. share their favorite tips on how to make canned sauce taste like homemade. homemade. Okay. Um, and one of the, you mentioned crushed peppers. Uh, one of them said adding crushed. caramelized onions and oh, garlic yeah. yep. can increase the sweetness mm -hmm. and uh, cooking sauce in red bell peppers and mushrooms yep. uh, is a, a good way. Uh, sauteing vegetables that need more time to cook before adding them to the sauce, the sauce. Uh, yep. will help. And if that is too complicated or too much work, they say just toss some basil or oregano on top before serving yeah. as a, a good finishing touch. Yep. So. Yep. We got some basil going ways, on downstairs. Ways so to, to use it. <laughs> <laughs> ways to make your canned sauce yeah. taste more like homemade. homemade. If you are mm -hmm. uh, one of those who becomes self-conscious about using, you know, canned or or yeah. jarred sauce, uh, thinking yeah. people are going to immediately yeah, the recognize other big that. Big debate on Facebook is uh, sugar. Do you add sugar or don't sugar. you add, add sugar? Okay. Yeah. Well, that would probably add some sweetness. sweetness. I would think. Yep. I would think that if you, um, you know, add the caramelized onions or the garlic, mm -hmm. that would be. Oh yeah. You you essentially do the same thing. Add sweetness, mm -hmm. but it would be a little more authentic. Yes. I would think. So. Yep. Anyway, just uh, some of the items, uh, some of the <laughs> ideas. I saw that in the uh, newswire, and I thought that would be perfect because. Uh, one of the ingredients in the crock pot lasagna soup is a jar of spaghetti sauce. So yep. lay it on us here. So we have one pound of ground beef, one 14 and a half ounce can of garlic roasted diced uh, tomatoes, uh, one 24 ounce jar of spaghetti sauce, two cups of beef broth, one cup of water, two tablespoons of sugar, one teaspoon of Italian seasoning, three cups of your ribbon pasta noodles. Um, you can use malfata or uh, bow tie, whatever, mm -hmm. uh, noodles. Um, cook those partially for about seven to eight minutes. Uh, then one cup of shredded mozzarella cheese. So brown and drain your uh, ground beef, uh, pour into the crock pot, add your tomatoes, your sauce, your broth, your water, your sugar, 
your seasoning and uh, mix that up. Cook on low for six to have a, six to seven hours or on high for three to four hours. Cook your pasta um, just partially, about seven to eight minutes, uh-huh. and then you're going to put that into your pos- into your beef mixture. And then uh, cook that on low for about 15 minutes or so, 15, mm-hmm. 20 minutes. In the crock pot. You just mm-hmm. leave it for another yeah. 15 minutes or so in the, in the crock yep. pot. And that'll finish cooking the noodles. Okay. And then you're ready to go. Serve with some mozzarella cheese on top and yum, the, yum. Yeah. Uh, yes. The uh, crock pot lasagna soup. Pretty uh, easy stuff there. Yes. Uh, to go along with that, uh, we have a recipe for dinner rolls. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you could do dinner rolls from scratch yep. and that's, uh, pretty involved or yep. just break out the, uh, Pillsbury yep. instance, but these are one hour yeah. dinner rolls. So you got to sort of compromise in yes. between the two there. Yes. So, um, one and a half cups of warm water, one tablespoon of rapid yeast, uh, two tablespoons of granulated sugar, two tablespoons of butter softened, one teaspoon of salt, four cups of, uh, all purpose flour as needed, um, three tablespoons of melted butter and your salt flakes to uh, sprinkle on the top when you're all done. Okay. So so warm your mixing bowl and uh, with some hot water and dry it off. That helps uh, with your uh, uh, yeast, with everything. To get it to rise? Yeah, going faster. Okay. Um, so in a mixing bowl, dissolve the yeast, the sugar, and the warm water. Let it stand for about five minutes or until foamy. Add your butter, salt, and three cups of your flour. Mix until combined. And then uh, add additional flour if needed, a quarter cup at a time, until the dough pulls apart from the sides of the bowl. Uh, And it's still going to be slightly sticky, but it's going to be more of a ball form. Mm -hmm. So that's what you want. Um, Try not to add too much flour. uh, Then let the mixer knead it for about three to five minutes until smooth. Then cover with plastic, place it in a warm spot, and let it rise for about 20 minutes. Um, I usually cover mine with my cheesecloth um, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. let it go that way. Preheat your oven to 400 degrees and spray a 9 by 13 inch casserole dish with your cooking spray. Yes, then punch, punch down your dough, divide it into 20 equal parts, and then you're going to roll those each one of those into a ball and then place those in your um, uh, baking dish, uh, brush with some melted butter, sprinkle with some salt, let it rise for about 15, 20 minutes, then bake for about 13, 15 minutes or until golden brown, remove, brush with a little bit more butter, let it cool and eat. Sprinkle that salt on yes. the top and you're all set. I want to go back to uh, the, the part where you're letting the, the yeast rise. Mm-hmm. The recipe uh, says cover it with plastic. You mentioned yeah. that you use your cheesecloth. Mm-hmm. Does that make a difference in terms of, I'm thinking if you have the uh, plastic wrap over the bowl as it warms up and rises, uh, is that going to trap the moisture in? Right. Um, and the cheesecloth is going to maybe absorb some yeah. of that. So is it going to dry out a little bit more? Does that make uh, a difference? No, or? not really because okay. it's not long enough. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So it's not yeah. really going to make a substantial difference. No. All right. So no. that was just the, yep. the question that but, I had. Yep. Uh, Whatever you prefer. Okay. All right. Uh, And then for dessert, and we had these uh, 4th of July. Uh, Yes. This is good stuff. The Texas Sheet Cake Cookies. Yes. Texas Sheet Cake Cookies. (laughs) So this is one box of your chocolate cake mix, two eggs whisked, and a third cup of oil. That's for your cookies. Then for your frosting, it's a half a cup of butter uh, at room temperature, two tablespoons of cocoa, three tablespoons of milk, and two and a half cups of powdered sugar. So for your cookies, preheat your oven, oven to 350 degrees. Combine your cookie ingredients in a large bowl. Mix until completely incorporated using a lar- large spoon or a cookie uh, scoop, um, a cookie dough scoop. Uh, scoop out your um, cookie dough onto your sheet. Uh, bake for seven to eight minutes. Uh, remove from the oven. Uh, let cool for a few minutes and then move it over to your rack, your cooling rack. Uh, and then repeat that with all your cookie dough. Then once all your cookies are done, uh, combine your first three ingredients in a saucepan over medium heat. That would be the butter, the cocoa, and the milk. Yep. Okay. Um, whisk that until the mixture has melted. Um, remove it from the heat and then add your powdered sugar and whisk that until it's completely smooth. Then pour your frosting over your cookies. Um 
And it's going to, because it's going to be like a glaze. Mm -hmm. So you want to pour it over and then it's going to go over to the sides of the cookie and Mm. just spread all over it. Yum, 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 yum. Yes. And then if you need to, use a knife or a spoon to move your excess uh, frosting. Um, Be sure that each cookie is completely covered. You want it completely, you know, immersed in this (laughs) frosting because it's so yummy. Uh, Then let the frosting set. Um, and then you can serve and you can keep your uh, um, cookies in an airtight container at room temperature. This is also something you could freeze um, and free- okay. and ha- they'll last for about six months. All right. Very good. Uh, at room temperature, it says for up to three days and yep. then you can freeze them for much longer. Yep. Good stuff there. The uh, recipes for the crockpot lasagna soup, the one hour dinner rolls and the Texas sheet, cook- uh, sheet cake cookies. We've got them uh, posted on the uh, Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page at Kyra's Kitchen WFIN. Also have them uh, linked up at the WFIN Facebook page. So if you uh, uh, go there, uh, you can get them. And, uh, of course, linked up at goodmornings.net as well. My wife, Kyra, with her recipes from Kyra's Kitchen this morning. Kai, thanks very much. You're welcome. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information at our webpage about everything that we talk about each day on the program. Check it out, goodmornings.net. Coming up Monday on the show, there is not much you can do about rising prices, but you can counteract them. We have five inflation-beating ways to save money on groceries, energy, travel, and more. Until Monday morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. Catch you back here next week.